important and kind of clever. A lot of what drives the story in Alan Wake is him trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Yes. Um, because, because the game showed us, you know, here's our normal, here's, here's our cabin on the lake. Here's, you know, kind of our setup with the husband and wife and da, 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 da. And then we instantly transition to seven days. Alan doesn't know what happened during the seven days. Neither do we, the players. We are just as lost as he is. We are feeling the same things that he is feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're presented with this thing that doesn't match up with what we were shown early. We want to find out the mystery. Yeah. And that's always a really fun like narrative technique is like, you know, if you're writing a character that's existed in this world or in whatever world you've created you know, we find out as we go, like, what's going on and who's, you know, what's happening. But when you have the character finding out alongside you, well, now we're both in this together. Now, as he's known as, for Alan Wake as a writer, but he always will quote things from Stephen King. Because Stephen King is a very prolific mystery. I mean, he is man. the horror writer. He is the horror writer, yeah. We don't quote Dean Koontz in this house. <laughs> Just a reminder, this is a spoiler-heavy podcast. Different series that require a spoiler warning will be in the description. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Theater Podcast. Today's episode is going to be all about the storytelling style of Alan Wake. And to lead us and also get through this, I'm going to go over some of our guests that's going to be with us today. But probably the big one for us is going to be over here to my right. My name is Liz, also known as Zombie Hand, and I am an artist, cosplayer, various other things. I like video games, and I help out a lot on Gaming Theater Presents and Podcast. Nearby Liz today is... Greetings, I am Brandon, also known as Tomato Man 7 and I do all kinds of video editing and production for not only Gaming Theater, but also production for the Gaming Theater RPG Podcast. And nearby him is... Hi, I'm Rob. I am a student of game design, um, and I'm happy to share some insights with y'all. Great. Before we get started, let's take a quick trip to the Magical Merch Booth. Today is going to be just us letting you know about a couple of future ventures in November, and we've been talking about this in a couple of the previous Magical Merch Booth sections. It's all about Extra Life. Extra Life is a charity event that Gaming Theater and a lot of the members of Horror Gaming Theater Presents tend to do their own charity event. Now, two big events that are happening is the Gaming Theater RP uh, is a live, live streamed on Twitch Gaming Theater Podcast RPG, or a GTP RPG ttp rpg it's a tabletop and there'll be more information on that for you but i'll be sending out links for that now the we've done that before last year and we're going to do another uh tabletop game based on uh the previous podcast episodes and i'm going to be the game master for that and that'll be available on november 10th is when it's going to be showing Official time frame will be listed with our Twitter slash X profile, but also in Facebook. And I'll make an announcement as well in our Instagram profile. Hope to see you there. But also, um, Zombie Hand is doing a live stream event as well. I am. Um, I'm also going to be doing Extra Life charity for, I think, the 
fourth or fifth year. I think fifth year, actually. I don't know. Um, and I'm going to be doing the same thing that I did last year where I do the scream stream and I play horror games. And for every time that I scream, I have to donate one dollar. Um, last year it got up to 72 <laughs> and I had some, uh, I had someone match that and then, um, you know, so that was really fun to do. And I will be doing that Saturday, November 4th at, uh, twitch.tv slash hand. And we'll be sending out all the links for everything for that in, uh, in a lot of our social feeds. So yeah, way you can t- keep up. And that being said, well, let's get back to talking about Alan Wake and also, Back to the show. So today's topic that we're talking about is a game that we have talked about actually in several, several previous episodes, um, Alan Wake. Uh, especially with next week, and Alan Wake 2 is going to be available thing. And Zombie Hand is, hands down, the biggest... Alan Wake fan I have ever met in my life. <laughs> and I'm not saying that as hyperbole. I'm saying that as Ed, the next uh, biggest Alan Wake fan um, doesn't compare. He's calling me fat. Alan Wake fat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so fat of Alan Wake. <laughs> fat with a PH, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, but Alan Wake hit at an interesting time in game development and design where a lot of uh, people were taking different risks in storytelling. And Alan Wake, ironically, being about a writer, is also all about storytelling and where they get their inspiration and such. So we'll talk about the storytelling for it while also going through the ga- uh, the discussion of the game of Alan Wake. Now, just for spoilers for the game and the world of Alan Wake. Now, just to get everyone's attention on this, here's your big spoiler award. We are definitely spoiling Alan Wake. Well, Alan Wake, Alan Wake's DLCs, The Signal and the Writer, Alan Wake's American Nightmare, and the probably the Bright Falls miniseries, which is a prequel to the game, <laughs> and the uh, AWE DLC in Control. Yeah, so those are your big right, I'm, I'm not sure I could handle that many spoilers for that many games, so I'm going to head out. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, see you, Rob. No, I'm kidding. It was good to have you. Not like we haven't spoiled Always like a pleasure. Well, what was it? We once spoiled like decades of television. You do realize that. <laughs> this is true. I was there for part of that. All right. But let's start and kind of begin partially through the beginning. So Alan Wake was the a game that was developed by Remedy Entertainment. Remedy Entertainment was a is still a really interesting game developer games uh for games. They've made Control recently. They've also made uh Quantum Break. Uh, Alan Wake, like we're talking about. But before they got to Alan Wake, and it's interesting in storytelling, they did another very big storytelling-based games uh, game before. Max Death Payne. Rally. And <laughs> Oh, Max Payne. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> Death Rally. <laughs> that was their very first game. I was making a joke. <laughs> I was trying to be funny. Wasn't Death Rally like a... Uh, it was like what? a top-down car game. Mm-hmm. It does things, but um, <laughs> not a whole lot of storytelling in Death Rally. Mostly concept of uh, just a driving game. But anyone who's played through the original Max Payne knows that they do their storytelling very well as a noir-centric um, 
story style. So it's supposed to feel like this noir detective novel based thing. So Remedy being wanting to continue with this tradition of trying to become this uh big storytelling aspect of game de- of game development. Um, I think after was it directly after that their next project was um Alan Wake. So they had Max Payne, but I, I think this is this is relevant. Max Payne in two thousand one, yeah. Max Payne two in two thousand three, and then Alan Wake in two thousand ten. Seven years later. So the fun thing about about Remedy though is that um, they generally only work on one game at a time um, because they're a really small studio. Like they spent you know all that time working on Alan Wake. And they were um, published by Microsoft, which is why they were Xbox exclusive for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they got all the, you know, they submit a, submit a proof of concept. And then Microsoft says, yes, we'll give you the funding that you want. And then they work on that. And so the, like, that's kind of been their thing. And I think it's only until recently that they actually started doing more than one game at a time. But that's mostly like they did the story campaign for some other game recently i don't remember which one sorry (laughs) um you know they did the story campaign for an online shooter or something like that oh i think that was uh project crossfire or something like that yeah it's not unheard of for studios to work on multiple games because um essentially you have all these assets for a studio and rather than sit there and wait we can just keep developing something else in the background while we're getting there a lot of well, studios would do that all the that, time but you can only do that if you're a big studio exactly yeah. for a smaller studio i mean seven years is definitely not unheard of in terms of you know the time it takes to develop games mm-hmm. but for an indie studio that's a big risk yeah and especially even being published by microsoft like microsoft owned all their ips like were they just not given a deadline <laughs> like, well, so, how did that go <laughs> So Microsoft, I don't believe owns the IPs, but they have right of first refusal. No, they do. They did own the IPs because they, um, they had to buy the I, the Alan Wake IP back from Microsoft, which they did a couple of years ago. Which is how they even are able to make Alan Wake two, um, because they didn't own, they like because so when they finished Alan Wake, they started doing proof of concept for Alan Wake two, and there's actually. A video out there that shows um the proof of concept gameplay footage of what they wanted to do for alan wake 2 but they were told no um because alan wake 1 had such poor sales because it came out on the same day as red dead redemption yeah yeah (laughs) um so they did it had really bad sales so they were like no you need to do a new game we don't think that alan wake 2 would sell so they started doing Quantum Break. But actually, sorry, <laughs> fun fact, Alan Wake's American Nightmare was created while they were doing the proof of concept for Quantum Break. And so they used this new engine they were developing for Quantum Break, but they used it for Amer- Alan Wake's American Nightmare and then just made Quantum Break in it. Yeah, it's not unheard of for, for stu- uh, publishers to um, try to retrain the rights to an IP um it's something that can come back to haunt them later in life if you want an interesting series of stories about about retaining ip 
GOG. Uh, GOG is a is a company called uh, just short for Good Old Games, and they're another platform like Steam or Epic Games. Except what GOG specializes in is trying to recover older games from the '80s and '90s and even early 2000s that might have gotten defunct and keep them up to date so that way they'll work on the newer uh, game engines. There was a problem with that because they keep having to get the rights for it to have the permission to have it on GOG, and some of them will take them to places all over the world. I know that there's like two games that they managed that they could not get the rights to because of a bitter divorce that the other person is just not giving up the rights whatsoever <laughs> because nuts to my ex on this. <laughs> and that was sort of like remedy is so small that like they really were at the mercy of you know microsoft saying yes or no mm -hmm. and it took them a while to even get the funding to purchase the the rights to alan wake um because like alan wake didn't sell very well quantum break didn't sell very well even though i love it, <laughs> it was, mm -hmm. it's one of the few games that i actually 100 percent <laughs> And I love it a lot. Um, and Quantum Break didn't sell very well. And then Control came out. And Control has been a smash hit. Like, it has been nuts <laughs> how incredibly well that game has sold. And how well, you know, like, everyone has loved it. It has had great reception, all those things. And so they finally, with the funding that they got from Control, were able, you know, Microsoft made the offer to sell them the rights to Alan Wake. And they said yes obviously <laughs> well and i mean keep keep in mind too this is giving up the rights for a from a from the corporation's perspective you have to understand it's basically i'm not going to be able to make any more money from alan wake yeah and no they i get that might make some money from alan wake but if they can make some money from alan wake couldn't i make some money from alan wake and that's that's a tough spot to be in essentially. So if yeah. Microsoft is making the offer um, that shows that they don't think they're not only do they not think they're not going to make money from it, but they don't think remedy is going to make that much money from it. And this is their last way to get money out of that IP. <laughs> Which is so wild because like Alan Wake has only, as far as I can tell, has only increased in sales. Like it definitely was like a sleeper hit, went super under the radar and then became like a cult hit because people were like, now that I'm done with Red Dead Redemption, <laughs> um, you know, and looking for horror games and such, um, you know, they could finally get to Alan Wake, although I would classify it as a thriller, but whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and so it's it's interesting that despite all of the sales that it's had, Microsoft would be like, hey, <laughs> like, I think it cost them, you know, obviously like a few mil, but mm -hmm. they were still able to to get those rights. Mm -hmm. And that happens once in a while. Sometimes, like, the most interesting story I've seen of, of a right give up is Activision Blizzard gave up some of their rights to GOG just for Diablo 1. Most of it was so that way they didn't have to remake the engine for, for Diablo 1 for a modern game. Because it would have cost them more to try to build it. Let's let these guys do it and then collect a little bit of the extra paycheck on it. But yeah, no, when they give up their IP rights, they give up their rights for that thing. Notably, Microsoft is not publishing Alan Wake 2. That's Epic Games that is publishing Alan Wake 2. Yeah, so I'm getting it on PS5. <laughs> well, and even more interestingly, uh, they're currently negating physical release altogether to, to maximize profit range, unless someone has since picked up the distribution. 
No, so they public. actually they actually didn't want to do the physical release because physical releases for modern games are seventy dollars. Um, you know, obviously, like it's been sixty for so long, but yeah. with PS Five and then whatever the new Xbox is, um, they are seventy dollars now. And so, if they went with a physical release, it would have to be sold for seventy. And they didn't want that. So um, it's digital, at least right now. Maybe they'll do a physical release later. But it's digital right now, um, which is why it's only 60 to get it um, to get it right now. Well, and I mean, physical releases for games, I think, really are going the way of the Dodo. You know, <sighs> I we're would... all connected. We've all got the Internet. There's I, I would mean, put out yes, money. There are a lot of cool <laughs> advantages to having that physical disc. Um, but it's outweighed by the cost that it that it is to make that physical disc. It's so much cheaper for the company just to do digital, um, and nobody wants to pay more for a game. So, and this I mean, keeps that's happening. True, but I'm just gonna say my my remedy games or remedy entertainment shelf that I have here could really <laughs> use a nice, pretty Alan Wake Two physical edition. I mean, don't forget that's what happened to vinyl for a long time too. In the eighties and the se- in the late seventies, going to the eighties, vinyl went out the door because it was cheaper to keep make cassettes and then later CDs than it was yeah. to. Well, I mean, vinyls are still expensive, but well, they've they're come just back like, too, though. The yeah, com- they, that's a different. I have story, several. <laughs> it's just like it's like a novelty thing at this point, though. It's not like the main way that anybody listens to music because oh, we no. all have streaming and YouTube and whatever. And um, the magical thing called the internet in general. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it is a novelty thing. And I think I, I mean, I have like, I think seven vinyls, but I, I could, I could have more. But the thing that's going, that separates Remedy from a lot of the companies that are out there is their focus on storytelling. So if Max Payne, it was dedicated to old noir uh, pulp comics and pulp uh, fiction from the twenties and thirties and even up to, I believe the, and the forties when they started doing, you know, huge pulp novels for that, then this would be introducing yourself to the psychological horrors of the 70s and 80s and even the 90s for that. And those those thrillers, and you can see that in the game. So with that, let's sort of step into the ages that is Alan Wake. So the way Alan Wake starts is Alan Wake is heading to Bright Falls, going on the ferry, making its way to Bright Falls. Judging by the ferry, I think Bright Falls is supposed to be in the Pacific Northwest, uh, where they use ferries a lot and such. In Washington. Yes, it's it's is in it Washington. Washington. Yeah. Um, it's a fictional town in Washington, um, which is part of the, like, Alan and his wife are from New York, and they wanted something that is very far away and very different in the hopes that it will spur on uh, Alan's writer's block or spur like get rid of it <laughs> remedy in washington is that where their studio is located no remedy studios is in um finland oh okay they did yeah, travel finished. though uh to oregon and washington and took thousands of pictures mm-hmm. oh, yeah. to create for... a procedurally generated world system at the um, time also uh some of the photographs so alice is a photographer and when you get into uh, the levels that are in Alan and Alice's apartment, the photos on the wall um, or the walls are ones that she took, but it's actually ones that the developers took um, while doing all their research. So they're flying out like to New York 
and um and to Oregon and they have like they do so <laughs> they do so much research for it um mm-hmm. to make sure that they're at least they're at least capturing the feel and the aesthetic cuz like you're you don't go out <laughs> into the streets of New York in Alan Wake or Control, you know. Well, yeah, it's New York. But um <laughs> and that's and that's super important honestly for a game like Alan Wake, you know. You can do a narrative story-based game that doesn't have like particularly great graphics. Um but just like for for a horror genre game, good graphics that are that are, you know, kind of realistic that are that are really good at putting you in that setting are I think a necessity. Um it's just it's not as scary if it's not as real. Right. Especially when the target isn't jump scares. Yeah. So with that, Alan and Alice make their way through the ferry. They end up at a diner where they meet a couple of people. One particular person that that just all is completely out of place on there is someone that will be a reoccurring character who's known as the log lady. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. Well, the log lady, lady is from yeah the log lady is from twin peaks mm-hmm. <laughs> um but she is a very obvious homage to the log lady mm-hmm. but in the diner we also meet um rose who is important um it, sort of i mean she's used as a plot device but then at the end you know some things happen um and then we also meet odin and tor um who have <laughs> escaped the mental hospital that they're in mm-hmm. uh, or the institution which is like a lodge it's like an artist lodge that they're forced to stay at yeah so you're going to slightly introduce to these characters so you know they're um they're you know they're important and that's also a weird writing tool is um it's almost like a checkoff i was gonna say this the smoking gun rule because like almost everything that you like all the locations that you go to and the characters you meet are important in some way and so the diner um you do actually go back to later in the game but you're introduced it is the hub where you're introduced to rose odin and tor the lamp lady and barbara jagger um very briefly um you meet barbara jagger and she's the one who gives alan the key to the lake and the instructions on how to get there or the (laughs) the key to the cabin on the lake and the instructions on how to get there and you know she's obviously like a massive deal to the game (laughs) important to note that the first room that you're coming into all these characters are important and that's the way alan wake's done from a game design uh, standpoint it's now i don't have to animate 17 other characters in this diner when i only need these ones because it's important to the story but it's very much just check off his gun and this is very much you will see writing tropes and writing things that are just in the game um after they leave from there they go to the cabin stuff happens you find out i think from there uh alice is afraid of the uh yeah you find out on the way there that alice is afraid of the dark they go in there and you find out they go into the 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 cabin and alan finds out that alice brought him there specifically to see dr emil hartman who can help struggling artists um because he's had writer's block for two years and he has the name of the book and that's it he has the title of it and he hasn't been able to write a single word and so she kind of like tricked him there sort of like she just said let's go on a vacation but then you know wants to take him there and when he realizes that she brought his typewriter with him or with them um he gets pissed and he leaves the cabin knowing that she won't follow him because it's dark out but that is enough time for alice to be attacked and 
um alan goes you know running back into the cabin to try and figure out what's going on all the lights had gone off and when he finds her she's fallen into the lake somehow (laughs) and he's like holy shit my wife i gotta save her and so he dives in after her goes unconscious wakes up it's a week later and he doesn't know what happened (laughs) but he woke he wakes up in a crashed car probably should see a doctor but instead you know i mean he's in the middle of the forest so he's like i'm just gonna walk that way now there is uh something i want to bring up real quick which is real fast on this the tutorial for this game the tutorial for everything you'll need to know in the game happens at the very beginning and with the exception of driving which kind of makes sense for the game but you'll uh going through that you'll understand that the tutorial finds out light is important you use the light to fight off shadows, and then when they have a physical form, you can just uh, blow them away. Um, very Ghostbusters-like in that sort of sense. <laughs> I, I do get the feeling that Ghostbusters was an influence, yeah. Because Ghostbusters, the whole thing is, first we got to sap these ghosts for power, and then we just trap them in. Lock them away. <laughs> but it's a two-stage pro- uh, thing for it, which I always thought was an, it was an interesting like aspect to the game. There's other games that do something similar to that, but also this, you have a weird narrator that points out, stay in the light, the light will keep you alive, the light's important, rubbing this in, and it won't make sense now, but it will, it'll make sense later. Very, like, Mufasa-esque in giving you some advice. Don't forget your batteries. Oh yeah, don't forget your batteries. Speaking of, product placement <laughs> in this film. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was a really fun one that did not make it into the remaster actually because they didn't have those <laughs> they didn't have those license agreements anymore so now it's just like a gen- like a uh just fictional- alkaline well it's like a fictional um battery brand and then all of the um verizon ads are actually just now um like really like cool painted ads for bright mm-hmm. yeah so they changed it up but you ha- but it's kind of an interesting thought because this is the because of the way the game has to be remastered. This is the first time I'm like they had to take advertisements out of the game in order to remaster the game because that's a separate right that you would have to get permission for. Uh, similar thing with Crazy Taxi games. They had like mm-hmm. KFC ads and stuff in the past, and I don't think those were re-upped for the Xbox 360 re-releases. Correct. I remember there was the same thing with uh, Sonic Adventure. They used to have. There was like a big thing called Soap Shoes, which was the type the yep. shoes that Sonic was wearing. Sonic Adventure Two. Let him grind on rails. Um, I I don't. I think the company might have went defunct. Don't quote me on that. Um, yeah, I, I think you know. that's the. Oh no! Wait, wait. They are still around. Mm. Uh, yeah, when when Sonic Adventure got remade, the all of those soap advertisements that were in game were no longer there. Yeah. Now we'll go into an episode about uh, about advertisements in in video games and such in another episode. That's already that, uh, that we're already working on. But back to Alan Wake. My point is that you'll understand everything from tutorial. So yeah, Alan has to see a doctor, or you know, move on with things. <laughs> <laughs> he ends up going to a convenience store, but that's because he's actually trying to find his way. He sees the lights of a radio station um, in the distance and is like, "I'm I gotta go that way." Yeah. Um, because there there's got to be somebody there who can help me figure out what's going on. And where is my wife? Um, as at this point, he doesn't realize that seven days have passed that he doesn't remember. 
because I think after this he goes to the radio station is the next sort of area. No, he goes no. to the the radio station's not for a while. He okay. he's just following the lights of the radio station trying to get there. He does end up at a convenience store, um, which is where uh the sign outside says seven days until Deerfest, but when him and Alice got there, it was two weeks until Deerfest. So he is like, Oh my god, I'm missing a week. He goes inside looks around at some various things and then a uh, police sheriff uh sarah breaker um shows up and he's like oh my god help me find my wife and he and as far as she can tell he's babbling nonsense because <laughs> she's like there is no cabin on cauldron lake he's like my wife and i were literally staying there <laughs> well and so she takes him to the edge of cauldron lake and there's no island there. She said it disappeared in the 70s, I think, due to volcanic mm. activity, I think. I think. <laughs> yeah, no. It's volcanic activity and the whole thing wiped out. Uh, the, there used to be a thing there, but it's not there no more. And Alan's like, oh, no. And then he takes Alan to the police station. Yeah, it's, he just doesn't know, like, yeah, he doesn't know, like, how this could be possible because he and Alice were literally there. So he... When, and um, from, like, a storytelling perspective, like, that's that's actually really important and kind of clever a lot of what drives the story in alan wake is him trying to figure out what the heck is going on yes um because because the game showed us you know here's our normal here's here's our cabin on the lake here's you know kind of our setup with the husband and wife and da 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 and then we instantly transition to seven days alan doesn't know what happened during the seven days neither do we the players we are just as lost as he is we are feeling the same things that he is feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're presented with this thing that doesn't match up with what we were shown early. We want to find out the mystery. Yeah. And that's always a really fun, like narrative technique is like, you know, if you're writing a character that's existed in this world or in whatever world you've created, you know, we find out as we go, like what's going on and who's, you know, what's happening. But when you have the character, finding out alongside you well now we're both in this together <laughs> now as he's known as for alan wake as a writer but he always will quote things from stephen king and because stephen king is a very prolific mystery I mean, he is man. the horror writer he is the horror writer yeah we don't quote dean Koontz in this house <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, Stephen King, and he's got uh, different references and things to Stephen King's material on there. Also, some of the biggest references that they have, or inspirations, is Stephen King novels. And a lot of their novels come up as little bits of mystery while there's something supernatural that's happening in there. And if you haven't seen the uh, read the novels, don't worry. There's a whole series of Stephen King-based novel movies. Not all of them good. Uh, I'm going to put that out there. Like The Shining? A very good movie. Maximum Overdrive? Not a very good movie. <laughs> and that one was directed by Stephen King. That might have something to be said there, too, because isn't The Shining like a Kubrick film? Oh, yeah. The Shining is a Stanley Kubrick's film. It's it's more a matter of one's directorial capabilities than it is about the story itself in these respects. Just because just cause you know how to write a story doesn't mean you know how to direct the movie. Exactly. If you want a weird example for it, the entire uh, Ghostbusters, the video game, when that came out, before they even made the game, they had to, they wanted a script written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, who wrote the original Ghostbusters film and Ghostbusters 2. So they, go, took, the, they took that treatment and then basically gamed it up to make it 
worked for a video game on that. Um, but normally you don't do that. A lot of places will um, or get influence from a, a from another source because it's harder to switch gears from one media to another like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- I think the only reason it even worked in the case of the Ghostbusters game though is simply because they didn't write it carte blanche. I believe, if I remember correctly, it was effectively like the three scripts that um, Bill Murray rejected when it came to making a true third Ghostbusters film. They kind of chopped up and made work mm. as a game's narrative instead. That was my understanding of it. But I mean, you have to still write between the lines. <laughs> But another big one is Twilight Zone. Um, it's a horror. Uh, it's an anthology series from the fifties. Here's the thing about that: if you ever go back to watching the Twilight Zone, whether it's the remake, the other remake, and the order the original, a lot of those short story and analogy stuff still holds up to today's uh, writing and suspense too. Some of them are freely freaky. So these are sort of the big, the last of big influence, and this is probably why it's in the Washington area, is Twin Peaks. Back in the 90s, Twin Peaks was an entirely developed mystery show. And that was done, you would see, uh, back then, you would see the episode on whatever night it came on. You would talk about it for three, two or three days afterwards. And, can't, and they were Twin Peaks watch parties to understand the mystery. This is before we had things like Lost or uh, shows the like Internet, it, shows like uh, Stranger Things or the Internet. And so, people yeah, would, Internet was not. I think the Internet was just infancy. getting to be more of like a household thing. Mm-hmm. The Internet existed, but they weren't streaming crap. <laughs> oh no, nobody had the <laughs> bandwidth to stream stream a show like like a full twenty minute <laughs> video. No, no, my my internet can't handle that. It's like twenty bits a second. That's we'll not. We'll see you in about uh, fifteen minutes, and that picture will have probably loaded for you. Yeah, <laughs> it, but no, these uh, uh, these are a lot of the influences that they have. And but Twin Peaks was a very big mystery show, and it still holds up its mystery pretty well. It's one of those few shows like if you're one introducing it to somebody, don't spoil it. Let them expo- experience this whole mystery of what what digs at them. Now, yeah. to add to this... Who did kill this, Laura Palmer? Nobody cares who killed Laura Palmer. Everyone just wants to know what's going on about the coffee. Now, uh... It's a damn fine it's actually It's a damn fine coffee. Exactly. Um, but to lead into um, the whole uh, influence of Twin Peaks, you've got the game being presented in an episodic manner, but the, it's not released as such. Mm. it's it's a six episode game that you can literally binge uh and then not long after that you had the takeoff popularity of telltale's episodic games getting very very popular mm-hmm. and those were just bit by bit by bit so it's an interesting uh way for them to kind of present it more as a television show and uh, that kind of helped i guess tie more links to the influences of twin peaks mm-hmm to be honest, I I thought that was very strange when I first played the game. <laughs> and so did I. Like you would you would finish a quote unquote episode, and then like you'd immediately go into last time on Alan Wake or whatever yeah. the heck it was. Yeah. They did, like you'd you know? ha- you'd actually have a next time on Alan Wake, immediately followed by a previously on Alan Wake. It's like yeah, I, I know. <laughs> shut up! I just did this. <laughs> it, it was it yeah. was so confusing and surreal, and like I understood what they were trying to do. But it for me, it honestly took me out of the game. 
yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's more useful if you like have stepped away from the game for a while. Oh yeah, and like that's that's critical. I think for for games that after, when if you've turned the game off and you come back, I wish that every game would give you a little synopsis of what has happened to help catch you back up. Dude, but they're I'm... doing it mid play session. <laughs> Imagine having that kind of power in the nineties on your PlayStation or in the early 2000s <laughs> on your PS2 with an RPG. You're like, okay, where the fuck was I going? Oh God. <laughs> it's been Sometimes a week. I, s- I am screwed. Sometimes I still feel that way. I'll go back to a game. I've been playing a game called Scarlet Nexus and I really love it. It's super fun and interesting. I haven't played it in a while and now I'm afraid to touch it. Cause I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to, I think I'm going to have to restart it when I get there. The Tales games actually have the best answer to that, at least the more modern ones on the PS3 Mm -hmm. and so on. There's actually a button that just tells you where do you need to go next, and it's literally just like a a journal entry kind of thing. It's like, Mm. we're on our way to blah, 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 blah. Make your way here. It's like, Mm. thank God. Yeah, but (laughs) I do. I really liked uh, Return to Monkey Island does that when you you load up the game. It'll, you know, it shows you the like, you know, the bigger scope narrative where it's Guybrush telling the story to his kid and he'll just be like, hey, do you remember where we left off? And then you oh, can say cute. yes or no. If I, yeah, I remember what we were doing. Let's just skip that. Or actually, you know what? It's been a while. Maybe you could keep me, catch me up real quick. And then it's just like two or three lines from Guybrush kind of explaining what happened and what's relevant to you right now. And they go right into the game. That was that's brilliant. It was amazing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so like yeah, it's Alan weird Wake to have that disconnect. To be, Alan Wake was just doing it to be to mimic like the TV show element of you know being similar to Twin Peaks or even just like because it is very like cinematic in a lot of ways. Not mm-hmm. like um, oh, yeah. not like uh, what's the what's the company that did like Detroit Become Human and uh, Quantic Dream. Quantic Dream. Yeah, it's not like Quantic Dream where like that it's a cinematic it experience. It is a cinematic experience 100% of the time, but like QTE you know it game. is it is very, <laughs> you know, Alan Wake is very beautiful and very cinematic in a lot of ways and so I bet that they were just kind of like leaning into that, but yeah, it is a little jarring <laughs> to be like previously on Alan Wake and you're like I just saw this. Yeah. Well, so they 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 also make efforts to recreate some uh some camera tricks like the i believe there's a few moments where like they do a a slow zoom on alan with a uh zoom out of the background and that's a uh, camera trick that's that's done with like specific lensing and twisting i believe but it's recreating that kind of element in a video game not only can i only imagine is a pain in the ass uh <laughs> But it it also does add to the the televised kind of feel the, the element of this, of this tele- mystery show because mm-hmm. that's the thing it's supposed to mimic a mystery show and that's why it's doing what it's doing on this yeah like we all want to know what happened to Alice what's going on mm-hmm. with Alan why are we you know why why is Sheriff Breaker here where did Cauldron Lake go or sorry the cabin on <laughs> Bird Leg Cabin is what it's called yeah. And I think after the police station, Alan ends up leading, uh, leaving because he gets information about a uh, about his wife, I think, being kidnapped. Well, he, he gets um, so he's still in touch with who he believes is the kidnapper of his wife. Um, and so he gets he gets his phone back. He gets a call from the kidnapper and the kidnapper is like, hey, come out back. I've got something I, I want you to see. And so Alan goes out back of the 
um, police station and Alice's driver's license is on the seat of um, just a car that's stored back there. Yeah. And, like, and so he's like, you son of a bitch. I'll, I'll get you. No, no, you can't get me now. You're going to have to wait until it's dark. And then time progresses. Side note, there's three things I've seen in the, in the Alan Wake that makes it so either A, time has to regress till night because he has to wait for something or B, he's knocked out until nightfall. You yeah. know, because one of the things that I thought day. was hilarious is uh, Alan Wake has got sleeping problems along with this. He can't fall asleep. However, apparently forced sleep is something that he gets all the time in this game. It's also super bad for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say concussion sleep is not as good for you (laughs) as regular sleep. I don't think he has sleeping problems. No, he does. Um, It's one of the reasons. He suffers from insomnia, I think. Yeah, he suffers from insomnia, and part of that's because of his uh, writer's block. I think I it's affecting his his writing sleep. capability is what it comes down to. I don't recall thing. that in the slightest. See, I'm just speculating. Hang there. on, hang on. But, yeah, uh, I, I know there, I know it's two against one here, but I do have to, I'm going to have to trust Liz on this one, mm-hmm. who has played Alan Wake more times than the three of us combined. You're not That's wrong. <laughs> but it would also lend credence mm-hmm. to um, another thing, which is that the game was originally designed to have a full day-night cycle. And I think that uh, that's kind of a clever way of incorporating things with that cycle would have been for Alan to not be able to sleep. And that's Mm -hmm. why he's up forever. (laughs) (laughs) But again, that could just be me crossing. Well, and I mean, from a gameplay perspective, a a day night cycle, I don't think would have been particularly good. No, because so much of the symbolism is tied up in this whole light versus darkness thing. That's exactly the what they realized in development. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, I mean, yes, there there are things that you do during the day, but that's like you know, you're sort of your lulls in action. The real story, the real things that we are here for, that we want to experience, those are happening at night. Um, I do have an update, sort of. It's the only thing that I could find about it, and it is the Amazon description. Of Alan Wake on the 360, so I don't know how accurate this is. Um, <laughs> okay. It says that, because it also says that he moved to the small town of Bright Falls. Uh, <laughs> and after it is suffering, very clearly vacation. <laughs> yeah, after suffering from insomnia and depression. But then it says he's able to sleep again, but after he meets a mysterious woman, he begins to have terrible nightmares. That's not true. That's not <laughs> accurate at all. <laughs> Because he puts these nightmares on paper for a new book. He's, that's not what he was doing. <laughs> I'm going to call shenanigans. <laughs> he thinks the person writing the back of the of the case should maybe, I don't know, turn on the game at least once. <laughs> it's not even the back of the case. It's yeah. literally just the Amazon description. Like, user inputted Amazon description. Okay, mm-hmm. well then maybe they should, I don't know, watch the E3 trailer or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take uh Alan Wake has insomnia with a grain of salt and if I'm wrong, I humbly uh, accept that I am wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. The word insomnia does not appear anywhere on Alan Wake's entry in the Alan Wake wiki, so I'm going to say that no, he does not have insomnia. Okay. Alright. Looks like oh, I might have to play this game again. Oh, oh no. no. However, I'll he does it. get forced sleep. He gets knocked out a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> That's true. That's true. He got uh He, he gets, gets unhealthy sleeped. Yeah. He gets knocked out. He gets he, he hits water from a dangerously high place. Mm-hmm. Um more. Oh, so he's out. just dead. 
no. So what happens is after he leaves the police Well, actually, some fan theories do state that. Oh, yes, yes, of course. This is the the squall is dead theory. Well, so here's the thing. After he leaves the police station, he goes after the dude who says that he has his wife. Turns out he meets up with her with him at the end of a near a waterfall. Now, if you know literary it's not history, a waterfall. what? It's not a waterfall. All right. Oh, it's a um, shoot. What is it? It's a cliff. Is over, there water at over, the bottom? Yes, yeah. there is cliff. It's a cliff overlooking a lake by Doctor Hartman's cl- uh, facility. But that is not until after the radio station. Oh yeah. Okay. Wait. Yeah. So he goes chasing the. Uh, so I guess he goes chasing out the down to make his way to the radio station at this point then? Yes. So he the kidnapper says to meet him after dark um, by Lover's Peak, which is... Um, wait. Oh, no. That's... Sorry. That's later. He goes to the radio station. He goes He goes to Cauldron Lake with the sheriff after um, she gets him at the convenience store. And then they you go to the sheriff's office, find Alice's ID, all the stuff. Um, but he's waiting. He's um, trying to figure out what like what he can do and where he can go. And he decides he's going to go talk to Pat Main um, at the radio station just to see if there's like if he has any information or anything at all. And Pat Main is the, uh, the night show host. He um, he always hosts the radio show after dark, and mm-hmm. he. Um, you know, he, he loves it. He's been doing it for a long time. And, um, he's hosting, the, he's like the one of those late night radios, the night owl, where random people will call in and do, and talk about random things. Um, <laughs> if you ever, if you ever stayed up way too late at night and decided I'll turn on the radio. Oh, what's this? Someone telling me a story about werewolves. Where did you come from? What's happening here? <laughs> I always love, um, late night stuff like that but pat main is he really is just playing music and chit-chatting to whoever's awake and a lot of it ends up being like because it's such a small town and everyone knows everyone people are calling in and they're like like one guy calls in and is like my dog you know got off leash and i normally he comes back but i couldn't find him and then you know pat's like oh she's a real sweet curious dog you know but i'm sure she'll come home but we'll all keep an eye out for her so you know like they that's the kind of call he gets later on you find out that the dog was eaten by the darkness mm-hmm. yeah one of the things that one of the themes that alan the themes of darkness isn't just a theme alan wake is literally fighting the darkness yeah the darkness is a, <laughs> is a monster infecting people doing bad things they're called the taken um when you when you get infected um by the darkness and then mm. um the dark presence is like the big one who's doing the infecting and such. And then the dark place is something something completely different. And then Alan shows up and shoves a flashlight in your face and pops a gun in your head. Yeah, but that doesn't even kill the darkness. Mm-mm. You can't stop the darkness. Um, so after, uh, so he meets up with, uh, at the radio station. And at this point, I think, at the radio station, he, uh, the federal agent Nightingale shows up. Yes. So Nightingale show, shows up and he, I think he'd actually like kind of shown up a little bit before, but this mm. is where you actually, I think he'd just been like mentioned that an FBI agent was in. This is where he shows up. <laughs> and the way he shows up is he thinks, out. oh, Pat Main 
kind of spilled that Alan was in the studio. Um, yeah. And Nightingale um, shows up and just shoots into the building. Just, just guns ablazing. And Pat is like, dude, the hell? So Alan gets away, but you hear Pat being like, uh, why are you waving guns around like that? Like, have some, you know, you could have killed somebody in here. You could just use the door. The door's yeah. not even locked. What? Yeah, just, just literally grab door. some grab some agents and, mm-hmm. you know, surround the building or something. But mm-hmm. um, he gets scolded by Sarah Breaker, but he doesn't care. He's there mm-hmm. to do a job. And from there, he starts making his way to... Um, to Lover's Peak, and uh, once at Lover's Peak, he finds the dude who, quote-unquote, has uh, his wife. Yeah, he don't have his wife. Yeah, he, this dude was just told to, like, lure Alan there, and he was gonna get, like, money or something, but Alan figures that, you know, he's just like, oh, I don't actually have her, and Alan gets pissed, and he tackles the dude off the edge of a cliff, and they hit the water below, and when Alan wakes up, he's in Dr. Hartman's um, clinic, which is where Alan or where Alice like wanted him to go anyway, at least, you know, to talk to the doctor. Um, and they're just like, no, you your wife died in a tragic accident. And, you know, you've been in my clinic for a long time and we just have to get you through all these delusions. Straight up lying to Alan. Straight up gaslighting him at this point, I believe. I don't, I mean, no. Well, it depends how long he sees it in that he's been in the, the psych ward. He's been in the psych ward for like, or in the in few this, hours. Uh, psychiatric care. If it's a few hours, kind of. Um, well, I mean, he's like, he's, because Alan has, you know, he doesn't know if this is true. And he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe Hartman for a second. But um, there is a part of him that's like, what if it's true? And then he's like, no, that's stupid. And, um. That'd be lazy writing. That'd be so dumb. And it's true. He's it's it's just Dr. Hartman trying to take advantage of various artists. He wants to get famous off of artists and he wants mm-hmm. to like I don't know, study. He them wants and to so there's people out there, which is sort of the case. Uh fa- the most famous one I can think of is the Colonel. He's the manager of Elvis Presley. But he's not Elvis Presley. He's just the manager on it, and ended up, uh, depending on how you take it, has kind of screwed out, uh, screwed over the Elvis uh, family's uh, fortune. Because uh, when he passed away in the seventies, Elvis left to his uh, to his daughter uh, to his daughter and wife not a whole lot of stuff in comparison to all the money that he made. But the Colonel's uh, famous for just being there as the manager. And Elvis had a whole entourage that people knew them by name. But they're famous for being with the fa- the guy who is famous. Not for actually doing anything with that. Yeah, and this this guy just, like, he wants to be a part of the artist's life so that he can, I don't know, like, he's not a creative type. And mm. so he started this clinic for the artists. And I think, like, I might have to double check but i think that like he i don't think he was like tainted by the dark presence the dark presence oh no he's just about a him but he like I, he definitely is coinciding with what the dark presence is doing mm-hmm. 
there and um and yeah like he has his clinic for the artists and at least one of the artists that we know about ends up in the clinic and that's odin and tor from the beginning they've actually been in this clinic for a good while now and um they they get out every so often but you find out i don't know exactly when it is it might be later but you find out that the dark presence did try to take them but they were too drunk all the time <laughs> and they the dark partied presence, up like rock stars yeah and they made their own moonshine which is stronger <laughs> than <laughs> most alcohols and so they like brewed it themselves on the anderson farm and so they were too drunk the dark presence couldn't get a hold of them <laughs> so it's time to party they will party hard oh yeah mm-hmm. see and- i actually i kind of like that because um i mean a lot of a lot of the the story that's happening is kind of this lovecraftian style thing you know the darkness is some sort of unknowable entity right we can't that we can't really wrap our heads around um mm-hmm. and that, and that's like a big part of the lovecraftian style of horror is that's what's scary is not being able to comprehend something fear of unknown kind of deal very much so and so like what's what's the what's the solution to that well you can't drive me crazy if i'm drunk (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're you're drunk you're already not thinking straight you just kind of accept what's going on in front of you or or don't (laughs) punish it um but you know you know you don't have the higher cognitive functions that might make you question your reality and what you're seeing yeah and these guys sure didn't like they were they were just already you know living the rock and roll lifestyle you know because that's what got them there in the first place (laughs) well they're like um because they're older like they're pretty old guys um even in the setting of alan wake and they were probably in the 70s and 80s you know metal scene (laughs) where it really was sex drugs and rock and roll Mm -hmm. and um What's what's really interesting about the band, the old gods of Asgard, is that so this is jumping a little bit ahead, but you find out in Alan Wake's American Nightmare that um they actually um are going back on tour with Barry as their manager. <laughs> um and that's I don't like three, now. <laughs> that's three years after the events of Alan Wake. And then um they actually so poets of the fall is the band um like it's poets of the fall yeah um in game it's the old gods of asgard well they're releasing a new album as the old gods of asgard with like eight tracks made specifically for alan wake 2 so those guys are ancient and still killing it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah they did a lot of the music for alan wake and feels to the atmosphere of alan wake which is what i really love like if there's one thing the game of alan wake has gotten got in spades it's just the atmosphere that creepy feeling of the darkness that mystery what's happening behind this door um that something is out there it just in that dark for uh forest it just feels and so yeah, they have a I, lot of that f- atmosphere for it which i love the first time i played through alan wake um was with my sister and her boyfriend and we did play one chapter a night except i think the last two we did it um at the same time because the the chapters are progressively get longer and longer as you go no well the last one isn't that long actually um they're inconsistent in length unfortunately sort of i mean i think that they're generally like similar in length except 
except towards the end where you do get like I think chapter five is longer and then chapter six is pretty short but we played one chapter a night and I stayed with them for the like a whole week just to play this game with them and every single night I you know we'd play a chapter I'd you know go to bed and I would have the weirdest dreams <laughs> every single night mm. that I that we played it. And for the first couple, like I've played it countless times. Um, and the first couple of years that I replayed it, uh, I would ha- still have those strange, like not those same strange mm-hmm. dreams, but I would still just have really weird dreams every time I played it. Cthulhu reaching into your mind. <laughs> Now, one thing I do need to mention is that the reason why um, Nightingale's interested in Alan Wake, and also one of the reasons why the, um, why Dr. Oh, I can't remember his name. Hartman. Dr. Hartman uh, uh, even hears that Alan Wake might be onto something is because Dr. Hartman finds parts of his manuscript. And one of, two things I love about the manuscript. A, I find using certain thing, items in-game that are actually in the storyline that is also tied to an achievement, a fun way to do that. Roguelike games, especially now with uh, with stuff like Risk of Rain and, and series and going forward, they do that. Your achievements are tied to your link. But in this case, not only is the achievement tied to it, the manuscript itself is also tied to the world of the uh, to the lore of Alan Wake well, and, and also that's, to the game. Yeah, that, I mean that's exactly what like that's kind of the point of it is Alan's finding these manuscript pages that are detailing things that end up happening and that's what's also really confusing to him and so there's like nightingale finds um yeah he finds some of these pages i i think he was in (laughs) so alan actually wrote him there um that's one of the things is because alan wrote this manuscript in those seven days and he um you know, it, he wrote it with the well. Barbara Jagger was making him write it. the mm-hmm. the The dark presence using Barbara Jagger's body, um, made him write the manuscript pages because she wanted him to write her properly into existence. Like she's too weak right now, and she relies on, or I guess the presence is probably not a she. I don't know, but it relies on uh something to bring it to life and that's why she focuses on artists is you know because creatively you know you that's a really good way to bring something to life basically what's the key to this manuscript and the key to the darkness is writers and artists creative types ones that are so creative that they can bring their their that they can put their creativity and make it a reality in yeah, well, Alan's case, he was a he's a writer, so he writes novels. In that in those seven days, he was writing things that were going to happen to bring Barbara, or to bring the dark presence properly into the world where it can start like wreaking havoc. Mm-hmm. But um, Alan like woke up from this like the brainwashing or like the the trance that he was in, and realized what was happening and was like, oh. I got to get out of here. So he wrote himself out of the dark place and back into existence. But what he did is because he he was like, I have to make it creative. I have to make it clever. Because if I just say, and I got out, like. That's bad writing. And I left. And that's the thing is he actually says that, like, that's one of the things specifically is that it's bad writing. And nobody is going to believe that it's real if it's 
or that it's like convincing or whatever if it's written poorly <laughs> so he really is like that is exactly it is he needs to make it believable but so it doesn't like throw anybody for a loop but especially so that the dark presence doesn't know what he's doing and so he starts writing like nightingale into the picture and he like everything that happens in alan wake alan made happen and so nightingale showing up 100 percent in the manuscript nightingale, nightingale showed not a real person he is a real person it's just that alan manipulated he either like wrote him into existence and now he's a real person or he was already a real person and alan just wrote him here um and was like hey you need to investigate this writer because you found these manuscript pages and it's real shady and now you think because you're finding these manuscript pages that are you know later on than what we've caught up to now <laughs> it looks like alan is plotting murder yeah so it's I love it because the manuscript is different for each the way each person interprets it. Nightingale's going crazy. Um because I, I'm gonna he's argue like, that it's not how people interpret it. He lays it out pretty clearly what no, happens. No, 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 no. It's how people find the manuscript is how they're seeing it. So like Nightingale sees the manuscript and sees that Nightingale's written in the manuscript, but Nightingale can't doesn't know, am I here because you wrote me here? Or am I here because I'm a person, but the manuscript says I'm supposed to be... It's like reading your own he, future. He just... Well, so he shows up there. I don't think that that... He just mm. wonders how Alan knows who he is and what he's going to do. I don't... Mm. I don't. He's not really in a place where he's like, oh my God, am I real? Like, he's not having that existential crisis. He mm. really is just like, you know, oh, I got to go to Bright Falls to blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then he finds the manuscript page and he's like, how do you know me? How do you know what's going to happen? You know, and he keeps calling him like <laughs> he calls him other uh, authors names the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, what, are you, really... what are you talking about here, Dean Koontz? Uh, yeah. That's not me again. <laughs> um, And so, yeah, he he's just there to try and figure out why he's there. Mm -hmm. um sort of and then when he finds the manuscript pages it's exactly how alan wrote it and planned it <laughs> that would be um, so weird though i read i'm reading a page that says i find this manuscript i'm questioning why i'm reading these pages right now while i'm questioning <laughs> writing these pages reading the manuscript uh, that's Very... i actually do it's not right now it's actually when you go back to the police station later mm -hmm. i have my favorite manuscript page that i want to read aloud because it is one of the ones mm -hmm. that makes nightingale be like what the whole entire hell is mm. this? <laughs> but like, I bring this up because Hartman finds a couple of the manuscript uh, pages. And from Hartman's point of view, Alan might start writing. But if Alan starts writing, he can't write those coattails. Yeah. And so he's like, he's drugging him, keeping him in his clinic, lying to him and being like, you just need to keep writing your manuscript, Alan. Like you, we've already got so much going, just finish it up. And then that way he can be like, I'm the artist that rehabilitated Alan Wake. I'm the guy who worked on, who helped. Alan I Wake. did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, then it, the, the darkness says, nay, sir, for I need Alan Wake. <laughs> <laughs> and totally trashes the entire uh clinic and building while he's going out and at this point alan's realizing that he needs to figure out what's going on and my two favorite things about it is that the reason why alan doesn't tell a lot of people what's going on is because he knows they're not going to believe him this is this is already 
what are they going to do? Put him back in that clinic? No, no, he needs to keep moving. <laughs> um, and I believe he bumps into Barry at this point, which uh, in the oh yeah. yeah when when Alan's escaping the mm-hmm. um the war because. It's not what Hartman thinks it is. It's not, and it's not going to play out how Hartman wants while the dark presence is on mm. the hunt for Alan. Um, Cause he got away from her. He's the one that got away. <laughs> um, <laughs> Someone got away. I don't, I need to get back. Um, <laughs> and he, and so the, the dark presence is like attacking the, um, is like sending um, taken to attack the, uh, the lodge or like the, um, uh, I guess it's a lot. His clinic, and his clinic. Yeah, yeah, when when Alan finally escapes the clinic and goes outside, um, he meets up with Barry, and Barry's gonna try and get him out. But you have to go through a garden maze <laughs> and fight a very annoying fight. Mm-hmm. But skipping all of those annoying fights, because we're only so long of a podcast. Um, we get to. Alan Wake getting to Barry, and then Alan Wake going to, or Alan's like, I gotta convince Barry to help me out by um, letting him know what's the, that the darkness is a thing, it's real, and Barry's like, nah, you're crazy, and then the darkness throws his car. After which, which is one of my favorite reasons, uh, things with Barry, anytime you see him in the uh, at night, he's covered in Christmas lights, and he's got light bulbs tied to his head, he is ready to go. <laughs> He yeah, has... he got himself a headlamp just so he could be like, oh, I'm surviving this. <laughs> like, I, I always kind of felt like, you know, standing next to Barry, I was like, I feel kind of unprepared. I feel yeah. like I could have done more. <laughs> and Alan was even like, I want a headlamp. And he's like, last one, buddy. <laughs> I could have done more. You could have. You didn't. You didn't. You want, but he, you want your protagonist. I think that's part of it, though, is you want your protagonist to always be in a position of vulnerability because then it keeps you know the reader interested. Sure, sure. Um, and but yeah, honestly, like, and it, it did so- make me worry about Barry less. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna have to hold this guy's hand and walk him through. He he can take care of himself. I think he's got lights. Yeah, he's, he's, he's so good. he's he's a good he, he's, he's a good, good egg. Yeah. But after they leave the the war, they end up at the Anderson Farm barn, which is the most out of place fi- uh, boss fight you will ever have in this entire game. So and it cool! It's awesome. It's, it's totally, it's totally on brand though. Like you're not expecting it, but when you're at the the farm of two drunk rock and roll gods or whatever, like <laughs> they. They really set that place up for success. You know, they have the mm-hmm. stage and all the lights. And as soon as you get there and like Barry starts trying to like figure out how to open a gate or whatever, mm-hmm. it just the taken a bunch of taken show up and Barry's like, oh, my God, let me figure out what I can do. Music starts playing. Fireworks start going. <laughs> like, uh, lights are burning everywhere. There's a whole light show that's going on there. It is so cool. It's it's a really good and really fun level. Um, there is one that's sort of similar in control, but also just like so uniquely different that they both just stand out as really cool levels. Mm-hmm. But no, no matter who or where you are or what you're playing, everybody wants to be a rock star just a little bit. 
yeah everybody has that feeling that thought like even if you just want to be like a bassist or you know Mm -hmm. whatever like you don't want to be the lead singer i wouldn't want to be the lead singer so uh when i got to this fight uh, it just uh because when you get to that fight you're fighting a bunch of taken and the lights are going which means i don't have to worry about lights or sounds or anything and now all of a sudden i'm like that sean of the dead or not sean of the dead um like the um the meme that's been pop that pops up that you see once in a while from um, Hot Fuzz, shame loads up the shotgun, shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you, there's still like those moments of danger where you're like, oh my god, I don't have enough, like whatever. But yeah. it's like just the right amount of panicking uh, for such a cool level. Um, and then at the very end, when the finale goes, and it's just like a a barrage of fireworks and it kills all of the taken and then you get to go and explore more of the farm mm-hmm. you find out that they have restored an old viking boat then they have it hanging in their, in I their just, barn they just they're rock stars they just keep it around you know in case of a of a thing but yeah and so after they do after you deal with those with the Ederson farm, then you move. But I think at that point you end up going back to the police station. Because you do, you but it's because um, you actually uh, hear a really important piece of information. Um, Al- uh, Alan and Barry get drunk and they find um, a record player playing an old gods an old gods of Asgard song, "The Poet and His Muse," which is about Thomas Zane, who nobody is supposed to know about. Um, because Thomas Zane, you find out later, wrote himself out of existence, but he did it in a way, he did it in a, in a very bad way. Um, which is why it, he, he tried to write himself and Barbara Jagger or the dark presence completely out of existence. He did it poorly. And so he wasn't able to entrap it properly. So, I mean, we'll get to that in a little bit, but Mm -hmm. the poet and his muse is like, that's about Thomas Zane who no one's supposed to know about but the um the muse or it talks about the lady of the the lady of the light mm. and that's the the la- the lamp lady and so that's that's your you know they're like oh my god that's who it must be talking about we got to find her and then they're drunk and are like tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> and they they pass out the nightingale finds where they are and arrests them and they wake up in the police station and just horribly hungover and Barry's Blackout like, drunk. Yeah, Barry's like, I'll never drink again. Lies, Barry. <laughs> but <laughs> Nightingale storms in and is like, what are you doing? How did you blah, blah, blah? And this is my favorite page. It's my favorite page ever in the whole, <laughs> in the whole game. It says... Nightingale tried to make sense of the manuscript. It was disjointed and strange. He didn't understand half of it, but it all rang true, impossibly true. He took out his hip flask when he reached the page that described how he reached the page that made him take out his hip flask. It wasn't the booze that made his mind real. I love that page so much. Oh, that is awesome, though. It's it's <laughs> such a good page. And I... So, yeah, you end up... um the dark presence actually ends up taking out Nightingale because Alan said to, you know, the (laughs) the protagonist is allowed to have wins every so often. (laughs) Um, There is also a point I'm going to, I'm going to say, I don't remember exactly when this happens. Um, I think we skipped over it, but 
or maybe it is right after this. Um, no, it's not right after this. Uh, you did actually end up in, um, or Alan and Barry actually wound up in Rose's trailer park where she lived, um, because she said that she had found his manuscript pages and they're like, oh my God, like, thank God we're on our way. And when they get there, they don't realize that she's been possessed by the dark presence. She drugs them <laughs> and, uh, oh, Nightingale finds them there too. Yep. Forced so to- it had to have been before this because Nightingale yeah. doesn't show up after this. He did. Yeah, he did. Nightingale gets taken away by the darkness, which at that point probably should have read that page in the manuscript gets taken away by the darkness. <laughs> um, you know, missed a page. <laughs> my bad whoops <laughs> so donals. but at that point then the, the, it comes a quest to try to track down the lady of the light which yeah is which the is the old lady that you bump into at the beginning of, at the diner yeah and they find out that she i don't remember exactly how they find it out but they find out that she's in the uh the well-lit room and mm-hmm. oh she actually tells them that um to get to the well-lit room and you know she's like i'll meet you there anyway mm-hmm. it gets kind Barry... of wonky at that point because you find out like there's a secret like society based upon this uh no le- it's just it's it's only her yeah um that but she has she, it's the well-lit room because she doesn't want there to be a single shadow so that the darkness can't get in at all and so she has strung up in an old like power plant power plant yeah or it's a sewage it's like a it's a big tunnel it's a big pipe um area but anyway you go over there and you find out that she has strung up thousands of light bulbs and she has just been exhaustively keeping track of the lifespan of every light bulb when they need to be replaced she has them numbered she knows where they are and she's like these need to be replaced soon the, you know this one is over here this stuff's here i'm tired and I, i'm done i just i want to be done with this life now she's been doing this since the 70s mm-hmm. so this, is a, this game takes place in 2010 like girl's been at it for a good time but you find out this is where you actually get thomas zane's shoebox and you find out this is where you find out that he wrote himself out of existence um but he, that's what he did is instead of being creative about it he panicked and said Thomas Zane and the dark presence no longer exist. Basically, like maybe not quite that, like that in those words, but he, that was the gist of it. And he, there was no, no nuance to it. No, nothing. And that's not how it works. And so he didn't do a good job, but he did still write himself out of existence. So, but that was the compromise that he made as he was like, okay, fine. I will, I will leave. I will be completely gone. That's fine. But I, everything that I leave in this shoebox will be important. Like this is the only thing of me that will remain. And in it is a manuscript page <laughs> about Alan as a child. Um, his father had left or died or something. We don't really know, but um he was afraid of the dark and his mother gave him the clicker, uh, which was like an old light switch thing, but it was like mm. one of those old light switches that you like click up, up and down. Um, and she gave it to him and was like, you know, your, your father's watching over you, whatever. Um, just click this when you feel afraid in the dark and it, you know, there'll be a light, you know, to help you or whatever. Um, and then is the clicker. So there's that page 
and the clicker. So then you realize, did Thomas Zane write Alan into existence? Like, did he... Was he like, yes, uh, this person needs or somebody needs to have this child <laughs> in particular? <laughs> or did Alan Wake write Thomas Zane into existence who then time looped? I don't know. I think that Thomas Zane is the actual one that is the actual writer. He actually is the one that influenced the exi- like the influence. Oh, my God. He influenced the existence of Alan and then getting to this place. So like everything in Alan's life up to that point has pretty much been orchestrated to some degree by Thomas Zane. Um, and so including the writer's block to give him an excuse to come here to write. Yes. Um, so, you know, Alan's mind is reeling. Um, understandably. So (laughs) he's had a couple of weeks. He's, He's going through some time. And so Alan's like, okay, I know what I have to do. I have to get rid of the dark presence. Like, this is what, like, he's like, I've got a lot of, I got some weird things going on in my brain, but I know what I have to do right now to save my wife, Bright Falls, and potentially the world. Although he's not thinking that large scale. He really is just like, this my wife. This save my wife. <laughs> yeah, my wife and probably the people of this town. So he is the one who goes, it's a long trek to the end lots of fighting (laughs) lots of enemies but you do end up getting to the end of the game where blah 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 things happen i don't want to go too far into it right now Mm -hmm. um but he ends up back in log cabin log oh my god bird leg bird leg cabin (laughs) i'm here (laughs) um he ends up back in bird leg cabin where he and alice were um in the beginning and he finds Barbara Jagger um, and he realizes what he has to do. Um, so he shoves, he with the clicker in hand, he shoves his hand into her chest, clicks the clicker, which does actually just explode into light inside of her, which weakens her enough. So then he goes back to the typewriter and he starts writing creatively enough that he will take Alice's place. So Alice escapes the dark place where she has been held for the last week and handful of days. And she, she doesn't know what happened. She has no recollection of it. She swims to the surface, calls for her husband, swims to the the shore. And it's just like, what, you know, like, I, I don't know. I lost the last like 14 or 15 days or whatever. Um, and now Alan is stuck in the dark place. And when we get a nice zoom out, oh, Nightingale's not dead, by the way. I was wrong about that. Nightingale got pulled away <laughs> and is now, he is now in, um, infected with uh, the Dark Presence. Uh. So it, it like, when Alan, like, quote unquote, killed it, it body hopped to Nightingale. And Rose is now the new Lady of the Light. And she's scene at the very end it's deer fest everyone's celebrating she's seen holding a lantern and nightingale is in the building behind her in the darkness looking menacing um honestly i feel like (laughs) like that's the end of that i feel like we can kind of brush over the writer and the signal to be perfectly honest they really are a little bit like they're really interesting but they Mm. are very fillery just to kind of show like explore Mm. how weird the dark place is um and also how uh uh 
like a little bit more about Mr. Scratch who becomes a villain in American Nightmare and just like Alan's mental state like he's he's really not having a good go of it in the dark place for you know initially he 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 doesn't quite yet know how to survive a place like that so his mind's not all there so here's the important thing for it the darkness needs uh the darkness itself in this case is ethereal it is very much a Lovecraftian-based story. Um, it's a monster that doesn't have a present, doesn't have a physical form. What the darkness wants is to get out, to be a physical form, to stop being this entity for the most part. But to be not an entity, it needs something creative to do this. Thomas Zane was a poet and wrote different poetry. But Thomas Zane couldn't do the job. Unfortunately, like... So what happened with Thomas Zane is that the dark presence or the dark, um, yeah, the dark presence kind of made a good and bad move in wearing Barbara Jagger's like body as it's as the host because Barbara Jagger and Thomas Zane were in love. And so when Barbara Jagger gets taken over and starts telling him to do these things. He's like, yes, of course. I'm, in, you know, I love her. I would do anything for her. And it isn't until too late that he realizes that this is not his Barbara anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Also, the lady, the lantern lady, um, the lady of the light, uh, was also in love with Thomas Zane, but nothing ever happened with them. Like she wasn't really on his radar. Um, well, yeah, he was so in see, love with he's... Barbara Jagger. <laughs> Well, yeah, because he's a poet. He's not a sitcom writer because this is a threes company th- uh, company <laughs> plot. Well, and he, so, so he, initially, yes, he was very like, absolutely, I'll do whatever my Barbara wants, blah blah blah. And then realizes this isn't my Barbara, and I've made a huge mistake because now I realize what's going on. And in that moment, he's like, I have to put an end to this. And that's when he made his mistake of just being like, he panicked and was like, okay. And we no longer exist. Bye. <laughs> May. May. Um, and so the darkness gets held off for years and years and years. Like, okay, don't worry. I found another creative use uh, people group that is just as artistic, very creative, and they're drunk all the time. They're drinking yeah. right now. <laughs> it's, it's pretty implied that, like, it has tried over the years to grasp onto different artist, artist types. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, those are the ones that would just i think have the easier time um to write or to bring something like that to life but like it 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 didn't gain enough power from odin and tor because they were drunk and painters like it didn't find that it could latch on to like the paintings as well and what have you like the written word kind of seemed to be the most powerful way to bring it to life the way that it wanted and what it was uh. looking for is a successful writer. And Alan Wake has written multiple, multiple hit novels. Mm-hmm. He has so, five out, uh, at the five Alex Casey novels out. He has uh, written for Night Springs. He wrote an episode of Night Springs back when um, Barry first. So him and Barry are childhood friends. Um, Barry actually got uh, Alan a writing gig on Night Springs and Alan wrote one episode which we never see in game and he submitted things to like publication magazines and short stories and essays and things like that but mm-hmm. now he's a famous writer 
yeah, different writers and such and creatives will always take certain weird aspects and things. Like one of the biggest comic writers uh, right now was the same guy who created, who was the creating creator and executive of Babylon Five of that that series. And you get to see all these like kind of he these creative types work on what they need to for these uh, to try to bring that darkness out. Um, but that's where it sort of gets really interesting on it because Alan Wake knows horror writing. And if you've watched in, or, enough horror stories or know enough about uh, horror books and novels, no one gets out clean. That was one of the mistakes with Thomas Zane. He, he wanted, all right, and we're good and everyone out. Yeah, and that was, like, the opening narration mm -hmm. um, in Alan Wake actually says, like, um, you can't give people, like, answers, because answers are antithetical to the poetry of fear, is actually exactly what he says, and I think it's a Stephen King quote. Mm -hmm. um, we actually discussed this a little bit in my narrative design class recently. Um, when you're When you're doing, like, your writing and your world building and all of that, you know, it's really, it's sort of like an iceberg. What the player sees is maybe 10% of what there is. You never want to give them the whole story because it's not as satisfying. Mm -hmm. And if you don't give them the whole story, that gives them a chance to like talk about it. You know, the things that they don't see where they want to try and connect the dots, that gets people talking about it. It makes it more, more popular, more entertaining, allows fans to interact with each other. Um, so that's that's critical, not just in horror stories, but in any. It's true. When Harry Potter was being released, um, I started reading the books when uh, I was in eighth grade, I believe. And the fourth book had just. Um, oh, no, it was the fourth book was still coming out soon. And like, you know, that series um, at the time, you know, was very influential on a lot of people. And also just like having mysteries that wove throughout all of the books like my parents and I would sit down to dinner and just discuss what we thought was going to happen and mm. you know who we thought would be the next casualty and whatever and so like you really can get people talking by having those really good like mysteries and you know by the end of the series you want to have all the answers but you know then you get to talk about like the journey and what you thought along the way um Recently, I read Gone Girl um, by Jillian, Gillian Flynn or Jillian Flynn. I don't actually know. It's with a G, so I don't actually know how to pronounce <laughs> that one. Sure. Um, and that one, like, was such a good book. It was so, it was so tense and so interesting. And, like, I ended up not being able to stop reading at the end of chapters because they were all cliffhangers and I would just be like one more chapter, <laughs> one more chapter. So I would have to leave off mid chapter because then I wouldn't have that one more chapter moment. Um, but it was the ending. Like you get all the answers by the end. Like you figure out what's been going on. You understand the reasons why things are happening, how messed up it is like oh my god it was so interesting but when you get to the ending like the final page the way it leaves off is like it's not a happy ending like it's not it's like tragic in a way that you don't expect it to be tragic 
And like, that was so interesting because immediately, even though I finished it at like midnight, I wanted to call my sister who had also read the book um, Mm. a while ago. And I wanted to talk to her about it. I didn't because it was midnight. (laughs) But like, that was the thing is I finished it and was like, I want to know her take on this. I want to know what she thought of the ending and what does she think it means? And, you know, like the, the author was even like, it's really simple. Like it means what you want it to mean. Like what I intended, like that's out of my hands when you have an like when you have, when you have an open ending like that, and then you mm. give it to the world, what you intended doesn't matter at that point. Mm. Um, And she didn't want it to like, she's just like, yeah, let people draw their own conclusions. What do you think happened with these characters? And, and these in stories like this will always, especially if they have a mystery with stuff that's behind it, will always tend to generate discussion, generate talks, and get people more interested. And you'll see this pop up every couple of years. What was it? Hunger Games did it. Lost. Um, Twin Peaks was famous for doing that and yeah. sparking those debates. But this Lots even of- goes as far back as Sherlock Holmes. Did he die at the end of that first book? Did he not die at the end of that book? <laughs> well, he didn't die because people were pissed and were like, we need you to write more because there's no way we accept that he's dead. And Arthur Conan Doyle was pissed. But um, you know what? He continued writing those books chapter by chapter and he sold them chapter by chapter. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the incentive was there at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um yeah also rob why was i not invited to that narrative class where you talked about alan wake (laughs) oh we didn't talk about alan wake we talked about narrative we yeah but alan wake was brought up why wasn't i on the phone (laughs) uh again we didn't talk about alan wake in class (laughs) you said that you did No, no i didn't i said that we talked about narrative and that you don't want to give away all of your story which is what happened in Alan Wake. I thought you were saying that you discussed it, <laughs> that you discussed Alan Wake in your class. I was like, that's so niche. I love it. Why wasn't I there? <laughs> uh, I 100% believe that my teacher would have loved to discuss Alan Wake. And if you want to pay three grand to take the class, come on over and you can talk with her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's some cash I don't have. <laughs> but yeah, I can relate. So with this, though, the Alan Wake, if you're paying attention, we'll see different, like, writing styles and things pop in there from, like, Stephen King, various other horror writers. Probably one of my favorite things that I didn't realize it until it was brought up to me is uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Um, Slaughterhouse-Five famously has Kurt Vonnegut as a character in Kurt Vonnegut's ha- Slaughterhouse-Five. <laughs> he, he, uh, he wrote himself in there. Um, but Slaughterhouse-Five is also a horror book, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Stephen King also wrote himself into... So he... Sort of tangent, obviously, but, um, years ago, Stephen King was hit by a car. Um, like, this is probably, like, 30 or 40 years ago, I don't know exactly, but long time ago. He was hit by a car, and so in his Gunslinger series, um, he is in, like, Stephen King is in the book... (laughs) think that um him and the car that he was hit by are both in the book <laughs> um so it's not a new thing for writers to write themselves into stories but alan definitely was trying to write himself into and out of it but he understood that you can't just do that like you have to you know you have to have some creativity about it 
And that yes. was where Thomas Zane failed. Like kind of on that point, um, I initially I was a little bit annoyed with Alan Wake being a writer in this story. Um, just because, you know, they tell you to write what you know. And a lot of writers take that to mean that my main character should be a writer just like me because all I know is writing. <laughs> um, and it's it's poor writing to do that. And so, like, anytime I see that, I just kind of roll my eyes a little bit. And sometimes I'll continue on with the story because, you know what, maybe it's a good story in spite of this. Mm-hmm. Um, in that sense, Alan Wake kind of turned that thinking on its head. You know, it yes, it was a story where they wrote about writing. Um, but the protagonist did wasn't better for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was not a good time for Alan Wake. <laughs> so with that, there's still a couple of uh, deal. Uh, big had it all. <laughs> could have had it all. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, then they came out with American Nightmare. So we'll briefly touch that. Real- um, American Nightmare is super fun. So it's actually um, uh. Any it's it, so first of all it plays really well like any control issues that you have with the first game which I did like it's sorry but like it was janky to play I love this game it was janky um, and like there was one time when you when you're like running across a really narrow bridge and you have to like make a jump and Alan would just like jump to the side and I'm like yep that's what I wanted you to do <laughs> um, very frustrating sometimes but. Um, American Nightmares gameplay really took to heart all of the all of the downfalls um, of the Alan Wake control scheme and really did it way better. Um, So that's my first point, um, because that was also it was part of the quantum break or like the preemptive for quantum break. Mm. Um, So, you know, quantum break has better controls than Alan Wake does. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At least I think so. so uh it actually is still in the dark place it takes place three years after the events of alan wake and it is uh the dark place has basically generated what is essentially an episode of night springs um which is the twilight zone-esque show that you can find episodes of throughout the game also the quantum suicide is in my opinion the best episode by far but it's like i will i will talk endlessly about how i feel like the writers at remedy can do more in five minutes than a lot of people can do with an hour like it's phenomenal um but it's so it's like a it's it's like an episode of night springs that alan is now trapped in and so you have to like try and figure it out you have to fight enemies you have to go to an observatory or i think you end up going to a garage first um, and you meet you meet one girl I don't remember her name and then you go to an observatory where you meet a scientist and then you end up going to a a drive-in theater where you meet another girl um, I think that one's name is Serena um, and then when you get to the ending or what you believe is the ending it's a time loop and Alan Groundhog days it and has to go through that whole thing again but he remembers everything that he you know went through the first time and there's like some vague memories that the girls all have of him as well and they're just like have we met before um and you know so he's going through 
he goes through that. It's a little bit faster the second time, but then he goes through it a third time. And thankfully, it's faster that time as well. And by then, he knows what to say and how to say it. The girls are like, yep, I remember who you are. Um, like, kind of. Like, it's not like, hey, Alan. Like, they still are like, I, I, I don't know exactly who you are, but I know that we've met before. Um, you find out a little bit about what Alice has been doing. Um, she doesn't remember anything about what happened in Bright Falls. So she has, she just knows that her husband is missing. Um, she misses him a lot. And so she made like a home movie of the two of them, um, like just memories and like videos and stuff that they had together. And she submitted it to a film festival, I believe. Um, Barry has gone on to become the manager for the old gods of Asgard. And <laughs> uh, he's on a radio uh, you can listen to a radio um you can listen to several radios but you can listen to one of these radios and it's an interview with barry and they the interviewers try to bring up um alan and he's like i don't want to talk about that let's talk about the old gods of asgard um and then at the very the girl at the end in the drive-in theater is actually a friend of um alice's uh they they met sometime after alan um disappeared and she has been like a huge support for alice and is actually the one who convinced alice to do the the little movie about the two of them um but one probably one of the most uh impactful things about <laughs> uh american nightmare which i do believe is going to come into play in alan wake 2 is the villain mr scratch um at the end of Alan Wake, um, Thomas Zane appears to Alan because Alan's like, I'm going to stay in the dark place. And everybody, like Thomas Zane knows it, he knows it. And Thomas is just known as Tom the Diver and he just shows up in a diving suit. Um, and he has a doppelganger of Alan and is like, he will take your place when, you know, because you can't be there, but we don't want people to be concerned so you know we're gonna um like let him be you basically and it's not alice didn't actually directly see mr scratch but she did feel like she was being haunted by him um you find this out in control actually um but she was actually seeing mr scratch but um mr scratch is actually is a doppelganger that was created based on the world's interpretation of Alan. And Alan was always going to book like book launch parties. Um, when he was on tour, he would go to parties to mingle with fans because Barry told him it would be good for his, like, you know, get close to the fans and, you know, chat with them and stuff. And there was one instance, which you actually see the news coverage of in the Bright Falls miniseries, the prequel miniseries to the first game, Alan punched out a reporter because he was just getting in Alan's face with a camera and asking a bunch of questions and Alan just wasn't in the mood. So he decked the reporter. <laughs> and so people's perception of Alan was as, you know, kind of like a short tempered, you know, party guy. And so Mr. Scratch is take is that but taken to the extreme and so he is um a short-tempered absolutely evil 
um, sadistic man um, who loves to party. And you see him, you see him do some murder. Um, you get, because on the top of uh, radios, you also get to watch TVs. And it's just Mr. Scratch taunting Alan with like, look what I'm doing. And I look like you. People think I'm you. And it's him throwing these like crazy parties and, you know, pulling somebody like he, he convinced one girl to like go back to the bedroom with him and like whatever. And he's and the girl's like, OK, OK, yeah. And then they go back and he murders her. You know, <laughs> it's a lot of stuff like that. So Mr. Scratch is just he's delightfully evil like he and that's just that's just kind of all there is to him. Like he was created to just be a doppelganger of Alan based on the world's perception of him. Specifically the world's negative perception. Well, I mean, if that's, if that's, if that's how the world perceives you. That's a perception of him. Well, um, I, I think that really plays into a lot of really sort of Alan Wake's original theming. You know, the darkness can't just have any, you know, it just can't have a crappy story going forward. It, it has to be perceived well it's it is shaped by the way people perceive it it is shaped by the way alan writes it um and so then this is sort of the counterpart to that alan is shaped by the way that people see him or in mm -hmm. this case mr scratch is shaped but you know it's it's kind of the same thing really yeah and it's like and that is really important to the whole like overarching narrative of alan wake like it's really driven home by alan that it can't be easy. It can't be a happy ending. It can't, you know, there's got to be consequences. There's got, like, if for some, you know, whatever reason he decided instead of taking Alice's place, both of us escaped the dark place, there would have to be some sort of repercussions from that. And Alan was definitely thinking on the fly. Like, he did not have a lot of time to think it. And so his initial thought was just, I will take my wife's place because I want her to be safe. And like, you know, and so he's like, it does extend to like Mr. Scratch as well. Like the, it can't just be easy. It can't just be, you know, pretty and tied up in a nice package and whatever. And Mr. Scratch is definitely not a nice package. <laughs> he is, he is awful. And it's so fun. I love him. I adore him as a villain. Um, and it's kind of uh, reminiscent, from my understanding, like, none of the best horror movie stories that are out there come out as, you know, all my problems are solved. One of my favorites, The Thing, who knows? That thing was a monster at the end, and you don't even know if, he, if they did if they did it or it did the job and got rid of him or not. Uh, Evil Dead, outside of Ash, that's about it who makes it to the end of the story. Yeah, and without stakes, like I'm, uh, oof, I'm about to have. It's not an unpopular opinion, but I am about to have some Stephanie Meyer opinions right now. And Stephanie <laughs> Myers wrote um, Twilight, um, so I don't care. I read the first two Twilight books, and I, I whatever. I have opinions, but I don't. That's not the point. But um, as proven throughout twilight and then i also read her book the host which i liked significantly better but something that stephanie myers does not do is put her heroines in any real significant danger they will always come out the other side and it is like 
it's apparent that that's what's happening. Everything that, like, if you ever watch the movies for Twilight, those put her in more danger than the books ever did. And the movie didn't really do much. And in fact, one of the most, like, interesting parts was in one of the final movies where there's this big fight against these old vampires and the werewolves and the 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 Cullen family or whatever and it's like this massive war or this massive battle and you just see like people getting decapitated and people that you have come to know and love dying and people are like holy shit this is hardcore only to find out that it's a vision of what could happen if it's a these dream sequence it's so alice can show people visions of the future but it's so subjective because it's like it's what she perceives the future will be if the things continue down this same path and so the the big vampires leave and nothing happens and the host is exactly the same like it's a really interesting story and i really enjoyed it but there were no stakes there were no There was nothing. I never felt like I needed to worry about the protagonist because she was never in any real danger. And that's like, that really like, like, even though I enjoyed like the, the world and the setting and like the characters and stuff, like I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't feel like on edge or tense about it. I was like, Oh, is it actually good? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Like, is something going to happen? Nope. (laughs) So like that is, you know i think a really clever thing on alan's part and like obviously in turn remedy's part um sam lake is one of the lead or is one of the writers for the games and um you know i think that that's really clever is there are stakes every step of the way and well and i think that's kind of one of the bigger things about the horror genre as opposed to other genres i mean it's really rare for the main character in, say, an adventure novel to be to die by the end of it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like it never happens, but it's, you know, for the most part, you kind of know in the back of your head, yeah, the protagonist is going to make it out by the end. He'll win the day and blah, blah, blah. The horror genre, the protagonist is not safe. There are a lot of horror stories where the protagonist dies. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I don't have like statistics in front of me. But I think it's actually more likely for their protagonist to die than to not. Yeah. Yeah. Or like at, at the very least, like at least give them some sort of like, I want to feel like, like they, they there could be consequences. I'm trying to remember what it was. <laughs> um, Maybe it really was just Final Fantasy 16 or something. I fe- I can't quite remember, but there's something where I was like, watching it or reading it or playing it or something god i don't remember but i remember being like oh my god anything could happen like i don't even know that the main character is going to be okay because like everyone's going like there's everybody has a chance The, the people that you would think would be safe are not safe and that's like what i want and like i'm just gonna say like stephanie myers is writing these books like when you have vampires even if hers is like a supernatural romance there's still a lot of really dangerous situations and the host is all about basically like invasion of the body snatchers but it's like Mm -hmm. an alien species that took over humanity and basically made them peaceful um and you know they don't want to get caught by these aliens because they basically strip them of their humanity like you don't become you're not yourself anymore once the alien Mm -hmm. takes over and 
there's no there's no stakes like nothing ever happens and i i i wanted things to happen <laughs> like give her like their hideout almost got found at one point and i was like mm. eh they're fine like nothing's going to happen and yeah like horror i think definitely takes that to i think it has to take it to another level like you want your reader to be scared tense you want them to be like what is going to happen i'm really scared that any page could kill the character or mm. you know d like injure them in some way that would be tragic or you know take their loved ones away from them or something like that you know yeah especially with the horror genre like horror films in specifically out how many of them are more famous for the vil the monster or the villain that's in there like halloween has mike myers um or more importantly like jason Voorhees and freddy uh, krueger they Ghostface or Ghostface. it's um it's the slashers it's the slashers but a lot of them that they are uh almost the entire cast except for the villain gets remade saw does that all the time the uh, <laughs> uh the the, the so, sorry the i same. i love i love <laughs> the saw movies but you're wrong the villain doesn't stay the same true but technically it's whoever's like j the, the title of jigsaw stays the same but the title stays the same it, whoever's in control yeah. changes the no, image the, of the villain the remains image, the same yeah it, that's more important though like yeah so who doesn't matter who's under the mask or who's the monster of that week or who's what it is like there's thousands and thousands of stories out there about vampires but Dracula being the the big bad vampire at the end has been the same for what 20 30 40 countless different series at that I think point the, must be from the 20s right is when is the when, 20s like... is when they have the uh, the 30s is when they have the original the dr first Dracula film but Dracula is still the main villain in like Castlevania. Dracula is the main villain. Villain. In, yeah, I'm just um, saying that it goes back really far. Like it goes back point, far. Yeah. At this point, ninety years. <laughs> mm -hmm. But you have these iconic villains, or these iconic monsters, or or these things that are out there, and the story is more about how they're reacting, and then the then this is then how the um other the the heroes and the protagonists are kind of. Uh, can go through it because the heroes and protagonists might not even make it to the end of the story yeah i mean the slashers are kind of um famous for having the final girl and exactly. so you kind of anticipate that you would have the villain and quite possibly the final girl but you know that's not guaranteed you never see these guys come out without loss without something that's at a risk yeah and that's what's like really interesting about like Alan Wake is just that there are so many consequences like like Rose is a victim Nightingale mm -hmm. is a victim Alan and Alice are victims um Barry is a victim you know like um all like there's like nobody kind of gets away from that unscathed mm -hmm. and even the old gods of Asgard even though they didn't have to deal with the darkness that much, are still victims. Yeah, I mean, and everybody in Hartman's clinic is a victim. But you know, like on the on the like when you think about the main players of the game, Alan's not okay. Like he definitely has like th the dark place 
the dark place really messes with him for a good while until he learns how to like navigate that hellscape and how to um you know stay sane and continue on through it and just like whatever it's gonna throw at him and he's constantly fighting and so you know he's not okay alice lost her husband and doesn't remember what happened on this what was supposed to be kind of just like a nice idyllic vacation where she also tried to convince her husband to see a shrink barry lost his childhood best friend you know like rose has lost herself to now being the lady of the light nightingale all sorts of things <laughs> but now he's taken over by the dark presence and you know so there's i think that that's really interesting and really important is that like you get the happiest ending that you could hope for and have it still feel satisfying because if it really was just like and everybody made it out alive like okay like what did we go through all this for you know you want to have some sort of consequences Mm-hmm. um but i think that um if so mr scratch I, he doesn't die at the end i thought he did i i still feel like he might but i think he's also an alan wake too they don't call him mr scratch but there is some doppelganger of alan in the trailers at least so we'll see what happens when the game is out and um i try to binge it <laughs> if i can if i can get it uh i was gonna go into the control dlc yeah go into control real quick uh so that one is actually it has less to do with alan um and i really liked this dlc a lot it was really fun um and it's you kind of um without going into the whole <laughs> like everything about control which i would do um control has it deals with like liminal spaces and like the realities between reality and things like that. And like, in like different dimensions. And there's this one place called the ocean view motel, which is, um, it's like a reality, a different reality, sort of like a different dimension, um, where it can just be like, it's just kind of peaceful. And it's very off putting at first because you're like, Oh, this is just a motel playing elevator music. And it's normal in this game that has been so weird <laughs> up to this point. But this is like a connect a connecting point. And behind each of the hotel room doors can be linked to a different world. So uh, in the Alan Wake DLC, Alan actually talks to her in the Ocean View Motel um, through one of the doors. She can't quite make contact with him, but he's like reaching out and is just trying to reach anybody and it ends up being Jesse, um, the main character. And it's like the first contact, the first external contact he's been able to make. And that's literally because the Ocean View Motel can serve as a connecting point. But so what you find out actually, because again, it's less to do with Alan. He's really just, it, it really is just like a, an exercise in um, making contact, I guess. But um, Dr. Hartman actually is, uh the big bad in um the alan wake dlc um so what happened was uh because alan wake and control are actually in the same universe um so dr hartman uh so after all the events happened um in bright falls the federal bureau of control (laughs) which is where control takes place um agents from there goes to bright falls to 
try and figure out what's going on. And then they found out that Dr. Hartman had been conducting research on these artists trying to, you know, um, like use them essentially. Um, and also making it, even if he didn't realize it, it made them susceptible to the dark presence. And so what he did was the FBC, <laughs> specifically the wiki says, um, the agents of the FBC, uh, oh, Hartman wanted to partner with them, but the Bureau were li- was like, uh-uh, you're violating uh, paranatural law, <laughs> which, like, that's not really widely known, like, how could he have known? But also, <laughs> like, dude, you knew, like, anyway, Hartman's awful. <laughs> um, and the FBC were like, no, and they detained him and they took all his research um, about you know, like Cauldron Lake and all of these things. And Dr. Hartman jumped into Cauldron Lake, uh, and which resulted in him being um, taken over by the Taken, and he dies. But uh, because you don't, like, so the FBC came back and got his body, and they took him to the investigations um, sector in the FBC building. And okay, I'm just going to read this one right here. Um, inside the oldest house, which is just another word for or another name for the Federal Bureau of Control uh, okay. building. Um, Hartman was kept in the Bright Falls AWE, which is um, altered world events area of the investigation sector. However, when Alice Wake was brought to the oldest house for an interview, Hartman sensed her presence and escaped, forcing the FBC to lock down the entire sector. In 2019, the oldest house was inhated, uh, <laughs> invaded by an extra-dimensional entity known as the Hiss, which is the premise for the whole game, um, which was of similar nature to the Dark Presence. The Hiss and the Dark Presence met and amplified one another inside of Hartman, stretching him into what's called as the third thing a monstrous form that possessed bizarre powers but maintained the take the taken's weakness to light and then you eventually kill him i want to find <laughs> i'm just picturing like a bad uh, like a bad date here's the darkness meeting the hiss hey girl how you doing around here <laughs> so uh you like possessing people and furthering your evil schemes Cool, me too. Cool. <laughs> I'm gonna send you guys some pictures of the boss that he turns into because mm-hmm. he's pretty, pretty messed up, y'all. <laughs> um, but you know, we can get together. I just have one little piece of baggage, being the darkness. Um, <laughs> light might hurt, but I think we we'd be cool. You cool, his? Yeah, I'm cool. Yeah, yeah I'm cool. Um, and so that's kind of the um, that's where where that ends is you beat uh dr hartman and um god it has been a minute since i have played this dlc (laughs) this dude's Um, just a dead space monster yeah but look at he's got like um he's got almost like antlers but they look kind of like a rib cage also yeah like he's he is like a twisted form of what you know is represented in bright falls yeah Um, antlers deer vest that's a whole thing ugly sweaters <laughs> do, you, do you not see that in that picture which picture which, the first second first on his legs no no no, no. do you put sweaters on your legs liz i don't know he's got a pattern on his legs hang on he's got a pattern on his arms too 
Oh, those are just holes. I th- oh, the holes are like sweater. A cable sweater though. It I don't looks know like those. That That's his sweater. clothes from the game. It looks like a Christmas sweater to me. Well, he's always wearing a sweater. Doctor Hartman. No, wear it's it, literally so. a. He wears a cable knit sweater in the game. Here, I'm gonna send you a picture. Yeah, and I think they're ugly. Yeah, they are ugly. You're right. <laughs> I actually, I actually own a cable knit sweater, so I guess I can't speak too too much. But yeah, he's also got his pants still on. Um, man, glad he kept his pants on on this one. <laughs> but look, his head is backwards. Anyway, um, that's kind of like what ultimately is uh, the Alan Wake DLC um, amounts to is that you get to take care of Hartman. And you know what? Good riddance. That guy sucks. Um, also, like, OK, it's totally um, like kind of a side note. Uh Quantum Break is not a part of the Alan Wake and Control extended universe. Um, But at the end of the Alan Wake DLC, they do mention the location, uh, like the city that Quantum Break takes place in. And it's probably just an Easter egg, but I like shit my pants thinking it was going to be something. (laughs) (laughs) It was not. This was not. My pants needs to not to be needs to be cleansed of this yeah, i have to do laundry now um yeah so that kind of really fleshes out or i mean like it kind of gives you the nice mm-hmm. nine years of what happened between the beginning of alan wake and the alan wake dlc in control and now alan wake 2 is coming out and i believe takes place in 2023 as games tend to do like this mm-hmm. you know, come out the same year they're released resident evil um and um is that one is actually following so this is going to be really interesting so it follows alan mm-hmm. and a new character named saga anderson um which i found out saga is actually a popular finnish name i didn't know oh. that. um which of note anderson is the last name of the brothers in the old gods of asgard the Tor and Odin Anderson um but she is also accompanied by FBI agent Alex Casey who is the protagonist of Alan's book series so we know Alan has been writing in the dark place he has written Saga into existence and presumably Alex Casey who is a very talented detective in the book series um and fun fact (laughs) so sorry i'm full of remedy fun facts um so alex casey in there's two manuscript pages in alan wake that are told or like that are from the alex casey books um the last two pages of alan's book the sudden stop they were voiced by the guy who voiced max Payne, who also voices director the previous director of the fbc in control zacharias trench um he and he does like the live action for him which there isn't much but you know he there the original max Payne (laughs) used sam lake's face because they were really it was a really low budget game and they were just like using like they got the like i don't know like the the landlady of the apartment that Sam Lake lived in to do a voice and a face model and like some of their friends. And I think somebody's mom was a character, you know, very low budget. So they were just using whoever they could around. Max Payne's face was actually Sam Lake's face, just 
on the model. Sam Lake plays Alex Casey in the new, uh, in Alan Wake 2. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just an interesting, like, Alex Casey was originally voiced by the guy who voiced Max Payne. Guy who's the face of Max Payne plays Alex Casey in the new game. Um, yeah, I just thought that that was really neat. Also, the voice for Alan plays Dr. Casper Darling in Alan Wake, but or in a control, but it's he's it's such a different role. <laughs> it's very, very fun. That's such um, a 1980s name. Casper Darling. Just the last name Darling. Yeah. Very, I mean, for God's very sakes, Peter Pan. Far, <laughs> Far Cry Blood Dragon. You're going after Dr. Darling. Dr. Darling. I'm going to show you his picture because this is the, actually the actor who voices Alan Wake. And I think he's just adorable. And he's so funny and like goofy in Alan Wake because he's just talking about like these <laughs> like floppy disks that are um, that have been possessed by paranatural entities. And so they're haunted now. <laughs> and, oh, so, so you mean demons in Shin Megami Tensei? Yeah. Yes. No, it's sounds like a Stephen King novel. Huh? <laughs> sounds like a Stephen King novel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um honestly, 100% feel like everybody should just play control. It's really fun. <laughs> anyway, um I have a gazillion facts that I could share, but that definitely covers everything up through the Control DLC and what we know of Alan Wake 2, including that there is a doppelganger of Alan, but whether or not it is Mr. Scratch, we don't know for sure yet. A lot of people think that it is. I kind of just wish that Mr. Scratch would be dead and done with it, like give, but whatever. Like he really was just in like a shadowy mm. figure in the signal and the writer and he was just in um, American Nightmare, which you can beat in... I mean, I think I beat it in about three hours the first time I played it. So, anyway, um, before I you guys ever let me ramble about... Or before you guys let me ramble more about Alan Wake, <laughs> I think we should wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank right. you guys for letting me go on for two hours about one of my favorite games of all time. We might touch into this for other uh, general subjects for different part uh, games. I will bring it up in every with. episode that I am on, and we all know <laughs> this about me. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for coming to my Liz talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I think that there would be like let me play replay Control. I think there would be some really neat topics to to pull from Control as well. Oh yeah. Also, some time mechanics if we want to go into Quantum Break, which I always do, but. Not as much as I'm uh, We'll get the time travel, that messy thing, into another podcast episode. Yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I'll talk about Quantum Freak. <laughs> Welcome to Monarch. I love that game so much. Also, R.I.P. Lance Reddick, he was in Quantum Break. Oh, the dude who played Jack Joyce in Quantum Break, the main character, is playing a character in uh alan wake too he is sarah breaker the sheriff sarah sarah breaker um he plays her cousin tim breaker Ooh. i think that's is it sean ashmore sean ashmore yeah hey i got it yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right sorry uh, that was another fun fact uh get me out of here <laughs> all right before liz goes mad with power on this one this is oh wait there no i'm kidding <laughs> good fake out all right now that being said uh we're gonna wrap this up and 
if everything goes right, we'll do we're still be doing a couple of episodes in November, but we might be taking a break in December or January. I haven't decided yet, but uh, we'll be but we'll be glad to hear back from um, all of our other stuff that we are working on with gaming theater. That being said, this is Gaming Theater Podcast. Logging out. Bye, everybody. Bye. See you. Oh, there was actually one more thing. Gaming Theater Podcast is hosted, created, produced, and edited by Leo Garcia, the Geek Scorpio. Our music is A Drinking Game. Stock media provided by Stormwave Audio slash Pond5. If you want to send us some financial support to help with producing things for gaming theater, you can do so at patreon.com slash gaming theater presents. It helps us out. Want to send support that doesn't hit your wallet? Please leave a review with wherever you hear your podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. It really helps out. Thank you for listening.